Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. I hope you're feeling good. My name is Ellie Angel Mobs and I'm a proud ambassador for Endometriosis Australia and host of this podcast. We're all about getting the conversation going about this disease that debilitates one in nine, myself included. Now, not only has it caused me pain for so long, but it has also caused issues with my mental health. And this is very common. The episode that you're about to listen to is all about mental health and chronic illness. I learned so much when I got to catch up with Dr. Lisa Van Neerkirk. She's a clinical psychologist and she does specialise when it comes to chronic pain and women's health. You will take a lot out of this episode. Please listen carefully. Take some notes down and I hope you enjoy this. And if you do need to speak to someone, you can call Lifeline. The number is 13 11 14. Dr. Lisa Van Neerkirk, thank you so much for your time. Hi, Ellie. How are you? I'm good. You are freezing down in beautiful Hobart. It's been a cold snap there recently. Yes, there has been a cold snap. And at the moment, it's blowing an absolute gale, which is actually quite pretty from my office window. I've got leaves going left, right and centre. So I've got a nice outlook. Your office is at the University of Tasmania, where you um, supervise with the postgraduate psychology students in the School of Medicine. So you're all about psychology. I'm really looking forward to this episode because, wow, as someone who struggled with mental health because of endometriosis, there's so many things that we could unfold. Yep, definitely. So this podcast has got so much information in it around mental health and endometriosis. There's going to be some fantastic tools and resources coming up a little bit later on. But firstly, what made you get into psychology in the first place? So I have always had a passion for psychology. It's something that I've always been interested in. And once I'd finished my studies, I moved to Western Australia. And the private practice that I worked in when I first arrived there, um, one of the clinicians focused in on sexual health Mm. and so I sort of jumped in the deep end there and then also from there had a you know really strong development and practicing women's health and combined the two and then that sort of led into the pathway of endo. It is good that there is psychologists that specialize in women's health because I know when I first started shopping around so to speak to find a psychologist the doctor first referred me to someone who had no idea and I was like oh no, nah, you're not for me. But then I've, you know, and I found the perfect person, but it really is such an important one to have a specialist for, right? Yep, definitely, definitely. And I think too often when women with endo are referred to see psychologists, sometimes there can be a bit of a misconception in the community that you have to go and see a pain psychologist. Mm. Um, the reality is there isn't actually a role you know that's a defined role as a pain psychologist so it's really you're going to see a psychologist who happens to have an interest in pain and may have done some additional training in pain same with women's health you're going to see a psychologist who has who's a um, a registered psychologist within Australia who has a you know an interest in working um, within women's health. So Lisa why is it that people with chronic illness such as endometriosis will struggle with their mental health? Anything that affects the body is going to affect, you know, your mind and how well you cope with it. And, you know, endo isn't something that, you know, comes and goes. So I think a lot of the time, particularly with persistent health, we can focus within the medical model. We can focus on the the cause of endo. We can focus on the endometrial-like tissue. We can get caught up in that. And so the focus becomes very much on the formal diagnosis of it 
and less about well, what's it actually mean when you're living with endo because you know the condition is cyclical there are so many different symptoms i know that for the women that i see there isn't you know there might be some common symptoms that come up so pain might be present for some women it's not pain that they're concerned about it might be the fatigue and the bloating and so really when something is happening with your body and you're having to make adjustments to that you're living with that on a day-to-day -day basis diagnosis often is something that can feel like this will give me a pathway mm. and it can but it often doesn't give you what you need to know in terms of how to manage the impact of that persistent health condition and that's certainly the case that I see with endo it's more you know with the women that I'm working with diagnosis you know that formal laparoscopic diagnosis is useful mm. but really their question is well what do I do with it now how do I actually you know live the life that I want to live live consistently with the values that I have without feeling like endo is now going to define me and and you know what I'm doing. It's almost like when you get that diagnosis, there's a light bulb that goes off in your brain, which lights up, which is fantastic. But then it almost is like a, a form of grief as well, because you think, oh my God, I'm now going to live with this. And what am I going to do? So you go into those sad moments and then you, it's like a real roller coaster of emotions when you were first initially diagnosed. Definitely. And I, Ellie, I, I think that roller coaster of emotions is probably something that continues, uh, you know, past that initial diagnosis because it's often, okay, yep, I've, I've adjusted to this. I know what my plan is. And then there might be a next stage in my life. So I might decide I want to, you know, I finished studying, I want to work, or I might have decided I want to start a family. Mm. And so often for endo, it's, it's the, the now what. You know, so I think that roller coaster of emotions is there, and I think that's part of the mental health. It's it's adjusting to that and working out each step of the way. What can I do that's not only taking care of my body, but also taking care of of myself, you know, um, my emotional health, my well-being, because endo does cross all of those. Mm. And I think that's something we've really learned in the past 12 months, particularly because of COVID and people being in lockdown, is that mental health issues are real and that they could affect anyone. What is the number one symptom or some of the symptoms that people should look out for if they're not feeling okay in the head? I think... Um, low mood i think if there are normally things that you enjoy doing and all of a sudden you've lost interest in doing those or it feels like it just takes so much more effort to do those things or if you know normally you've been a really social person and then you look back and you go do you know what i haven't turned up to the last couple of functions with my friends and that's just not me i think the minute you start recognizing that that's something that's normally easy for me to do is part of something that gives me a sense of purpose and meaning and I'm not wanting to do those things that's the sort of first I think light bulb moment mm. as well. It's interesting the way you describe that too because I know when I and I've never really spoken publicly about actually um but when I first went and eventually got diagnosed with depression and the anxiety at the time I was up in Queensland on holidays with my husband and you'd think on holidays that I would be in the best mood ever and I'd be walking around happy, smiley. And the first day we went out for breakfast. I sat there at breakfast and I had no energy, really low mood. And all of a sudden I just started crying because they bought the wrong food out for me. But then all I wanted to do was to go back to the hotel and stay in the room and sleep. And for that whole week, 
like I struggled to function. It was just something that ticked. And then I looked back on the weeks prior to it and I went, okay, yes, I, I canceled functions and there was stuff going on. So I really can acknowledge that, that that is exactly how it feels. And you feel so crap and you're like, I don't know what's going on in my brain. And it's really confusing. And then I made the appointment to see my GP and um, they, they figured out what was going on and, you know, started that treatment plan from there. But it, it really is quite a scary moment when it happens as well to some because you don't know what to do. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, that example is really, really important because often as well, I think it's so easy for us to fall into automatic pilot mm. where during the day we're just putting one foot in front of the other. We're just getting the doing done. And it's often not until we actually hit the pause button that we get a moment to actually go, oh, what's been happening around me? Or to recognise I am utterly exhausted. I have been, you know, pushing and pushing and pushing till I get, as you said, you know, I finally get my leave or mm. finally get on holiday. And then that's when your body often goes, great, now you're a captive audience and so does your brain. I'm going to flood you with all of these worrying thoughts. The, the fatigue is going to kick in now and we're going, oh, but this is the time I'm meant to be relaxing and really enjoying myself. But I think that concept of automatic pilot is really, really important because it often means that we've actually disconnected from what's going on around us mm. until, as you said, you're somewhere different and you stop and pause. Now, my experience happened many, many years ago and I've been seeing a psychologist now for a very long time and I'm able to understand the way that my magical brain works. And one thing that I was able to pinpoint is that with the constant going and seeing doctors and not knowing what was going on in my body, some people telling me I'm crazy, then thinking maybe I am, is it all in my head? Then getting that official diagnosis of endometriosis, which is such a roller coaster of emotions already, that that is a big contributor to the mental health. Definitely, especially when there aren't answers. You know, I think that a lot of the time we, you know, from early in life, we're taught, you know, the best way to make sense of your world is to find an answer, to find meaning, to find an explanation. And so when you're on the search for that, continuously and you're on the merry-go-round that often comes with diagnosis, it can leave you feeling a, a lot of confusion, as you said, a lot of sadness, a lot of grief. There can be anger and all emotions are actually really normal and functional. Mm. We often think that, look, you know, I need to not get angry. I need to not get frustrated. It's, it's actually not the emotion itself. It's what we do with it that really determines the impact that it has, you know, on ourselves and, and those around us. You mentioned as well that there are the different stages when it does come to, you know, going through these emotions and you, you know, there's the, the first one when it comes to endo and getting that diagnosis. Then there's the starting a family one. And I've also just um, been there, done that. I've done IVF and unfortunately things didn't work out for me um, as as what I would love. I'd love to be holding a baby, but that's not the case. And, you know, I sit here with a, a smile on my face, but deep down on the inside, I know that it still hurts me every single day. And especially for those endo warriors who will be in the same boat where their um, fertility has been affected. That's a really hard one to manage, isn't it? It's definitely a hard one to manage because like anything, and, and as you, you've said, it's very, very individual and unique. And depending on where you are and what you're wanting to achieve in, you know, your life plan at the moment, that will change what's happening emotionally for you. And I think one of the most important things is, you know, you said, look, I'm sitting here with a smile on my face, but underneath 
there is that sadness and grief. And I think what's most important is to acknowledge that there is sadness and grief. I think we often tend to fall into the trap of, I just need to put the brave face on. And when we put the brave face on, we stop talking to people around us. We stop talking to friends, family, partners, colleagues, whoever it might be. So a lot of that struggle is left to just that internal monologue that we have where we're saying, look, people don't understand or I should be moving forward. I shouldn't be feeling sad. I shouldn't be feeling frustrated. And, you know, then you might eventually voice that to someone and, and a friend or someone might say, well, why shouldn't you? I think that's a pretty legitimate and normal way to be feeling given everything that you've experienced. And mm -hmm. so I think as well as feeling the emotions, it's really important to give yourself permission to actually talk about them. Yeah, absolutely. And it will feel like you're walking around with a big backpack on yourself. The biggest weight will be lifted off your shoulders when you actually open up and start that conversation, as scary as it may seem at the time. It's like ripping the Band-Aid off. It hurts for that one second, but once you've done it, you feel good. Yep, definitely. And I think the important thing too is when you go and see a psychologist is, you know, you don't need to poke a bruise to know that it's going to hurt. Mm. So your psychologist isn't going to expect you to dive in deep to some of those most upsetting or painful um, events and situations straight away. That takes time, like anything, you know, once you trust your psychologist, once you've learned about them and they've learned about you, it will feel increasingly easier and comfortable to talk about some of the things like fertility and, and some of the things where there is grief attached. If you don't like the psychologist, shop around, look around, yep. you know, you've yep. got to work. Yep. It's like, it's like dating. <laughs> Yep. It's, it's the comfy pair of shoes. You may, sometimes you're lucky enough and you find the comfy pair of shoes straight away. Yep. Other times you actually have to try a few on to get the comfy pair. Now, one other thing that people with endometriosis would struggle with, um, you are doing some research into it, is the self-love and body compassion. One of the clinical trials that we're running looks at cognitive behaviour therapy for women with endo. And one of the exercises that we do in that program is after a mindfulness exercises, I ask the women to thank or acknowledge a part of their body that they like, that they're grateful for. And that's something that's really, really difficult for women with endo to do. There's often a lot of um, tears at the end of that session. There's a lot of debate. There's often a lot of surprise. So it's not uncommon for women to say, look, I don't remember the last time I actually acknowledged something good about my body or a part of my body that I liked because Everything to do with my body has just become about a discussion with endo. And body compassion is really, really important because we know for women, particularly for those with persistent health conditions, that self-compassion and, you know, this sort of newer area of body compassion is that if we can build that up for women, their capacity to engage in long-term treatment programs, their, the impact of persistent health conditions on mental health, all of that improves with an enhanced level of self-compassion. So how women see themselves, not only physically, but as a person in whole, actually impacts on their health diagnosis as well. Any quick tips for a bit of self-love? Yep, yep, definitely. I think acknowledge something that you're doing well. You know, I think it's very easy for us to get caught up in what's not working, what we're not doing well, but just finding one small thing that you can acknowledge at the end of each day that your body has done well. Now that may just be, it got me to work today. It may be, yep, I managed to, to get through to the end of the day. Um, in terms of yourself, acknowledging that you are more than endo. 
that endo is a part, it's something that you're living with, but it's not you. You know, I think that's where the self-compassion is really, really important because otherwise it's very easy to get lost in that diagnosis rather than saying that actually I'm, I'm a friend, I'm a person, a colleague, I'm doing all of these things despite the endo. I really like the idea of maybe you've given me one right now, creating an affirmation board that is simply the thing I love the most about my body today is dot, dot, dot. And, you know, having a post-it note and you write it down every single night before you go to bed. And that's the first thing that you wake up and see the next morning. So you're going to wake up feeling, well, hopefully good as well. Yes, definitely. Okay. Definitely. And I think there's so much practice with endo at trying to tune out from what your body is doing that, you know, sometimes actually tuning in and, and acknowledging what it's doing really well is just as important. Okay. Yeah. Normally I focus on the negatives. <laughs> I'm a real negative you know Nancy. <laughs> yep. And you, our brain is hardwired to do that. At the end of the day, our brain is just a big don't get eaten machine. It's actually designed to focus on the negative because we think that's what's going to help us to get through. So it does take a bit of a mind shift to switch, you know, and look at the other side of the coin. But, you know, it's certainly, it's not that you're a negative Nancy or anything like that. It's just what we're hardwired to do. The other thing that can be affected with endometriosis is relationships, be that an intimate one with a partner or even friendships as well due to constant cancelling and, and them not having an understanding. What would your advice be around that? My advice is, definitely be open and honest. Um, I think something that can sometimes happen in relationships and whether they're intimate relationships, friendships, whatever it might be, is either we can fall into a bit of a trap of mind reading. So hoping that the other person will understand or know why we're cancelling without directly explaining it to them. Um, same with, with partners, we can fall into a bit of a trap of thinking, well, look, you know, my partner should know that I need this support or we feel like, look, I can't ask because then I'm always asking, but communication is definitely the key. Okay. Because yeah, if there's a communication breakdown then, or if you're not communicating with each other, then the silence builds and then the anxiety builds. I know that's the big one for me. It's like, oh no. <laughs> yep. Yep. And it builds on both sides, Ellie. So if, if, you know, we stop communicating and somebody else is trying to fill in the missing blanks, then they start filling in the missing blanks with what they think is happening, which may not necessarily be accurate. So they're then making decisions based on that sort of miscommunication and, and misinformation. So as difficult as open conversations can sometimes be, in the short term, in the longer term, they're actually much better off for us. Do you think that an open conversation in a workplace environment is important too, especially if you might have work affected by endo? Um, because when I first was going through all the endo stuff, I didn't tell the bosses what was going on. I would just make up, you know, constant lies as to why I was sick. And then that moment when I told everyone, I was like, oh, wow, this feels amazing. But there was kind of that negative um, thought in my mind because I, it's such a personal illness and do they want to know about that? What's your thoughts on that? Look, I think open communication is important, but I also think that you still have the right to privacy. I, you know, I think sometimes when there's a persistent health condition, it can feel like, look, I have to tell everybody everything. Mm. And I think that's where select your audience. So in work, you know, it might be the HR department, it might be your direct line manager, it might be the colleague that you sit next to who you know you can then access some support through and I think choose what you would like to disclose 
So it doesn't need to be that all or nothing approach. That's a really, really, really good one. And now we've got a lot of people listening to this podcast. They may be in areas where a psychological service might not be easy for them to access, um, such as in the rural communities. And that's something you're passionate about as well? Yes, definitely. And, you know, part of our clinical trial has is we're trying to develop a program that women can access um, free of charge that they can do through a self-instruction mode. But Medicare have access to mental health care plan funded sessions. Um, so uh, somebody can go to their GP, the GP can refer them to a psychologist. If there's not a psychologist in their local area, then they may be able to access assistance through telehealth platforms. So that's either over the phone or through, um, you know, Zoom video type sessions. But I would encourage, you know, women to start with their GP and to also consider, look, if there isn't a clinician in this area, do we start with a support group to start with and then look at where else can I access some assistance from? And GPs will generally have a good list of psychologists or counsellors working in, in that health area that they can refer women on to. You mentioned support groups, even the Endometriosis Australia Facebook page and the little group that they set up there. That's a fantastic place just to be able to talk to each other and when you chat to someone who's going through the same thing, it kind of makes you feel a lot better about everything because you're not alone. Definitely. And I think that any form of support group is really, really useful. You know, whether it's a online support group, a face-to-face support group, because you're right, you're actually getting to spend time with women who understand what you're facing. They also understand the, the challenges around diagnosis. They may um, have their own experiences around fertility, around different medications that they've um, tried and, and have worked really well or haven't worked really well. And I think the one thing that we often sort of talk about there is is to use the groups as a source of support and information and just being mindful of not getting caught up in the comparison game, particularly given that, you know, profiles of endo can be so different. It can get, it can be easy to get sort of caught up in comparing yourself and Mm. more often than not, women do it and they minimise their own experience. So they'll say, well, you know, it could be worse or at least I don't have that, which in a way can be useful but if you then do it to negate your own experience that's something we'd want you know women to avoid doing as well that you know your experience is your experience and it's significant to you it doesn't matter whether it looks exactly the same or different to somebody else's experience it doesn't make it any less difficult for you now lisa is there any trials you've got planned in future or research that you would love for the endo warriors to get involved to help you out yeah definitely the clinical trial looking at cbt mindfulness for endo is still running i know as well that there's a fantastic research team that subhadra heavens um, is a part of at deakin university and they're about to start a trial looking at cbt and yoga for endo so they're that will be open for women in Victoria. But also um, we've got still our ongoing research around self and body compassion for women living with persistent health conditions. And how can we get in contact with you if we'd like to take part in that? Yep. So um, you can certainly contact me via the University of Tasmania through the School of Psychological Sciences or, you know, the research is often advertised through um, the fantastic efforts of Endo Australia. They're great champions for our research. Excellent. Well, endometriosisaustralia.org, the place to get to. Dr. Lisa Van Neerkirk, thank you so much for 
shining a light on the mental health aspects of endometriosis. And I hope that if someone's listening, that from this, they go and make that appointment with their GP because it's okay to not feel okay. And we are going through a lot, but if you can start those conversations, then that can do uh, big things for you in your mental health. Definitely. Definitely. I think that you're spot on there, that it's just the the first step is the hardest. Mm. um, But once you've taken that, you'll see the benefits of it. And I will talk from firsthand experience. Trust me, I thought it was going to be the worst experience ever going and talking to someone and saying, hey, I'm not okay. I'm sad. There's stuff going on in my brain. I just don't know. But it is one of the greatest things to have happened to me because it's only made me stronger as a person great I'm really I think you're there it is that's you know somebody else's experience can really help shape what somebody else's experience is going to be and and hearing firsthand that from someone who's had endo and has found the benefit of it that's that's the best you know advice and advert you can be and now I've got your mobile number I'm going to call you anytime I need to have a chat okay (laughs) okay (laughs) Dr Lisa Van Neerkirk thank you so much thanks Lily I told you there'd be so much to learn from Dr. Lisa Van Neerkirk talking about mental health and endometriosis. If you do need to speak to someone, you can call the professional counsellors. They are available 24-7. The number for that is 13 11 14. If you'd like to take part in the clinical trials that Dr. Lisa Van Neerkirk was discussing, you can find out the info and make a donation as well the research in future for endometriosis australia the place to go to is endometriosisaustralia.org and after listening to this podcast when it comes to mental health the one thing that i really have learnt is just to be kind to yourself <laughs>